moment, we're going to read from God's Word. If you need a Bible, we have them at the back table. You're welcome to borrow one. You're welcome to take one. We're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 2 to 6. And if you could again stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Verses 2 to 6. The ark remained at Kiryat Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for its power. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us, illuminate our hearts so that we may understand what you want to tell us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Today's message is titled, If you are returning if you are returning and in this life we all suffer loss of one kind or another severed friendships broken relationships rifts in family but with god these broken relationships these tragic losses this is not the end of the story and if you believe that you can say amen for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future jeremiah 29:11 so this message today is not about loss it's about finding it's about finding your heart's true home. It's a message of renewal, of restoration, of returning. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest 
for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. If you are returning, you will find rest for your soul. Your heart will have a home. You will experience life to the full. If you are returning, there is a decision, there is a commitment, and there is a connection that is needed if you are returning. And I want to highlight the verses that we just read in 1 Samuel 7. But before that, I'd like us to take a step back. And it's quite a big step back, actually. Four chapters broaden the lens to include 1 Samuel chapters 4 to 7. We can't get into detail with everything. We'll hit some highlights. But I encourage you to read them at home and see what the Spirit highlights to you specifically as we continue our series in 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapters 4 to 7, we read about the Ark of the Lord, how it's captured by the Philistines, how it's eventually returned, and the ongoing conflict between the Israelites and the Philistines. They did not get along, to put it mildly. And when I was first praying over and preparing for this message, I was focusing on, like, why did God allow or plan for the ark to be with the Philistines? And what is that teaching us today? I was going to call the message, God among the Philistines. I thought it was pretty catchy, pretty pleased with myself. I even told a couple people, and then God redirected me. That's how that works sometimes. But I am reminded that Jesus died for all nations, for all people, for Israelites, for Philistines, for Jews, for Gentiles, men, women, once for all. And I want to ask the question, who are our Philistines? Who are the people that we think we can't get along with? The people that we think God can't reach. Because he can reach them. And he will. And if he doesn't use us, he'll find another way. In light of Jesus' teaching, love your enemies, for example, his life his sacrifice. We must be open and willing to connect with everyone, even people that we might view as Philistines, and to share God's story with them and to love them. So let's look at the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Lord. First of all, what even is it? In 1 Samuel, and just sticking with the New International Version, it's called the Ark of God, or the Ark of the Lord, or the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. You may have heard it called the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. And there's a description of the Ark in Exodus 25. It's a smallish chest. In the Bible, it's cubits, but I looked at commentator. It's about four feet by two by two. It's got a gold cover 
with two cherubim on top made of hammered gold. But the ark, is, it's not just an object, and it's not an item that brings prosperity and victory. And when the Israelites, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 3 and 5, the Israelites brought the ark into their camp, thinking that, aha, now we are guaranteed victory. But this showed they had an incorrect understanding of what the ark was. Eugene Peterson comments that the people were never taught that the ark was a source of power they could plug into and that the Israelite leaders regressed into spiritual superstition. The ark was not some kind of magic object. And I thought, do I treat that God that way sometimes? Do we do that to God? Do we treat him just like an object, as a thing, when we need some kind of blessing? May we never do that. May we never treat the Lord Almighty in this way. May we never trivialize God or try to put our plans above his. How about is the ark a symbol? Like my wedding ring. So this, this ring, it's more than just a band of gold. It's a symbol. It's a huge symbol. It symbolizes my love, my commitment, my actual covenant to just one person in the world. There she is, my beautiful wife, Karen. I love you, honey. You're going to make me cry too. So it's so special. Is the ark like that? Does the ark symbolize the connection, the commitment, the covenant between God and a particular people, the nation of Israel? And now, of course, God has a new covenant with us, the church, those who believe through faith in Jesus. Does the ark symbolize a covenant? I'd, I'd say, yes, it does symbolize a covenant, but there's actually even more. So, yes, but more. It is symbolic, but it's even more than a symbol. The ark is where the presence of God resides. The presence of God. And that's why the ark is holy it's because of God's presence that the ark is holy. In 1 Samuel 4.4, we read, The Lord Almighty is enthroned between the cherubim. But just a minute. Is, isn't God everywhere? Isn't God omnipresent? Yes, absolutely. We read in Jeremiah 23, 24, Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Our God fills heaven and earth. So God's presence is everywhere, yet God's presence can be more intensified 
or more concretely felt. And these are just my words. This is my feeble attempt to explain what I can't explain, what I can't fully understand. Yet it is there in the word. We read about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And we read about the presence of the Lord being upon the ark of the Lord's covenant. And if we turn to the New Testament, we read in Acts 2, verses 3 and 4, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We are able to experience this intensified, if you will, this filling of Almighty God through the filling of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, to know the unknowable, to receive the unthinkable, to personally and communally experience God. Let us return. So back to our first Samuel story. The people of Israel bring the ark to the camp where they're battling the Philistines. And things go horribly wrong. It doesn't work as they thought. They don't win the battle. The ark's actually captured. And the ark goes to unexpected places. Now please, I thought, of, should I go here? I'm going to go here. Don't take this the wrong way. I don't want to get in trouble, and I really like being a pastor here. But my brain, my crazy brain, went to the Travelocity roaming gnome, just because the gnome shows up in unusual, really weird places. I mean, it's just a thing, and it's decoration for the garden, right? Can we agree? The gnome should be in the garden. Yet, here we have these unusual images of the gnome. Sun tanning on the beach. The gnome... Fancy dining. Move them around. The gnome going down the water slides. Right? I mean, where does it end? We could elaborate. Maybe the gnome is going to host Jeopardy. Maybe the gnome's going to get drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers and start at next tackle. I mean, left, left tackle. I, I don't know where it's going to end. Anyway, that's the only comparison. There's nothing else in common. Maybe forget that, but probably won't. So we find the ark, the ark of the Lord's covenant, and it shows up in places it's not supposed to be. The ark is actually supposed to be in the tabernacle, in God's holy sanctuary. It's not supposed to be, for example, in the temple of Dagon, the Philistine god. But we see what happens in the midst of the Philistine city of Ashdod, in the heart of the Philistine temple, the god Dagon, a mere object, lies broken before the Lord of hosts. The light of God can pierce through any darkness. We serve a God of power, of victory, if 
you will return. Let us return to the power and presence of the Lord Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Let us prepare for the return of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Amen. And there's more to the story of the ark among the Philistine. There's plagues. There's appeasement offerings, gold tumors, gold rats. We won't get into all of that today, but you can read about it. And finally, the ark returns to the land of Israel. Ah, at last. The ark's returning. Okay, now everything's going to be great, right? Because Israel's got it together, and the ark's back with Israel. At Beit Shemesh. What happens? It's not good. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 6, 12 to 21. There is a lack of understanding for some people in Beit Shemesh. There's a lack of appreciation for God's holiness. Do I fall victim to that? A lack of appreciation for God's holiness. Forgive me, Father. There's a curiosity to peek inside the ark as if it were a mere object. And there's judgment and a strong warning not to trifle with God. And the people of Bet Shemesh ask, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? And they move the ark on. Sadly, they don't want it. They move it on. They move it to another location, Kiryat Jerim. And there is a different experience at Kiryat Jerim. This experience contrasts with the ark among the Philistines and the ark at Beit Shemesh. At Kiryat Jerim, there is consecration. And there is vigilance. We read in 1 Samuel 7, in the first verse, they brought it, the ark, to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to guard the ark of the Lord. If you are returning, we need to be set apart. We need to be distinct. We need to be vigilant. We need to be keeping watch. The ark remained at Kiryat Jerim a long time, 20 years is what it says in the passage. And this sets the stage for the next verses. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2, then all, and to me this was like a jewel, I'm reading all the ark here, gold tumors. More fighting? Why more fighting? Ugh. And, and then I come to this verse in the middle of everything, and it just pops out to me. And the words hit my heart with force. I'm like, that is the message. That is the message. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. All the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Amidst this conflict, confusion, 
incorrect motives, lack of understanding, all the people turned back to the Lord. And for us today, there are decisions to be made initially and ongoing, and we're at different places in our spiritual journey, in our spiritual pathway. Perhaps the decision for you is whether you will continue to seek, to pursue, to come back, to ask questions, to be open, to be honest, to seek until you find. Perhaps the decision for you, you've been seeking for a while, you've been asking those questions, you've been getting honest with God, and it's about saying yes to Jesus, and Jesus is knocking at the door to your heart. He's asking if he could come in and transform your life and give you life to the full now and also give you life eternal. My uncle is palliative in the hospital today in Nanaimo, but he has life to the full and life eternal because he trusted in Jesus. And this decision involves faith, for by grace are you saved through faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. There's a step of faith because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Perhaps for you, you have said yes to Jesus. You know, you remember, but you've wandered away. You've wandered away, kind of like the people of Israel, how they turn away and they get confused. They come back and then they'll turn away. We'll see that next week. They're not on track again. But there is a call to return to the love you had at first, to repent and do the things you did at first. It's time to return, to turn back to God, to restore that connection that you once had. God has always loved you. God continues to love you. And God will welcome you back with open arms just like that story of the prodigal. Perhaps for, for you, you have said yes. You have said yes to Jesus. You are following him. You haven't gone away. Or if you did, you're back. You're following him. You're passionate. And it's about continuing that journey, about going deeper and deeper. And I want to read from Psalm 42, 7 and 8. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls all your waves and breakers have swept over me by day the lord directs his love at night his song is with me a prayer to the god of my life what a beautiful image at night his song 
is with me. Is the night difficult for you? God's song is with you. God watches over you at night. He is singing over you. I want to highlight the commitment the Israelites made to God. There was a decision, a commitment, because Samuel spoke to them. And I'm paraphrasing. It's like, if you are returning, this is actually what it's going to take. This is what it's going to take. You've got to turn away and turn to. Turn away from false gods and serve the Lord only. What are the false gods of today? What do we have to turn from in order to serve only the Lord if you are returning? I'll ask the music team to come forward. We need connection. Yes, there's a decision, a commitment, but there's also connection both with each other and with God. Look at verses 5 and 6 in chapter 7. And Samuel, I'm not reading it verbatim, but Samuel gathered the people. They assembled together. There was connection. There was prayer, intercession. And there was this pouring out of water, the only place where it happens in the Old Testament we had the water image this morning. Perhaps it's a way of seeking cleansing was one idea I read. And there was fasting. There was confession before the Lord. Let's stand and pray together. Father in heaven, we're just so thankful that you are a God who longs to connect with us, Father. We welcome your presence here this morning. We welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. Church, we're going to sing together. If there's some kind of decision that you need to make today, a commitment, a connection, I encourage you to do that today. You can pray as we sing where you are, you can come forward if you like. Kneel before the Lord. The prayer teams can be available for you. Father in heaven, we want to connect with you in this moment. Father, you are so great. You are beyond our understanding. You are mighty. You are worthy. Help us to understand your holiness even just a little bit more. We give you praise. We praise you this morning, Father, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.